Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM. This is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Loves and kicking things off for us tonight. Quebec City band Pastel Barbo with the title track to their new album, Microcosm. Or I guess Microcosm, since it's in French. Uh, we got a busy show for you tonight. Aaron Shore, local jazz guitarist, is going to be talking about his new album, Omens Creek. We played a track last week. Uh, the album release is this Sunday night at the Fort Gary Hotel. Uh, I also recorded an interview with Jim Barrett, a bass drum of death. They're coming to town June 3rd at the Bulldog Event Center uh, alongside Basement Revolver and Dearly Beloved. Uh, touring on the strength of their new record, Say I Won't, uh, been, which getting some love here at UMFM. Uh, before we get into my interview with Aaron Shore, though, Tammy Glover, uh, songwriter, musician, and TV executive, who uh, once upon a time was the drummer for Sparks, and uh, she has a musical she's put together that the album just released. It's based on uh, Wendy Darling from the Peter Pan story growing up. It's called Wendy, My Darling, and this is a track called Space. Aaron Shore set to release his new album, Omens Creek, at the Fort Gary Hotel on Sunday, May 14th at 7 p.m. And he joins us on the show. Welcome, Aaron. 
Michael, great to be here. So Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to have you on and uh, excited. We played a track last week uh, on the show here to give people a little, little taste. Uh, obviously, the album named, named after a, an iconic local uh, setting. Uh, like, are you the type of person, like, did you go for a walk around Omens Creek and that's where some of this was birthed? Or like, what's... Um, well, I lived in, I no longer live in Mosley, but I lived in, I lived in Mosley for seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was live, still living in that area when we were ma- when we were um, recording this music. And I, yeah, I took many, many walks through there and bike rides. And I always just loved, I loved the spot. And I actually just loved the sound of the name Omens Creek. Just the, it was, uh, that's what it, um, that's really what resonated with me more than anything. And it kind of was like, it was like a title that I had in mind to use in some capacity for a long time. And then, uh, um, I guess basically, I, per- I, I, there was one tune on the record that needed a title. It was a ballad, so I named it that Omens Creek, and I decided that that was just a good working title for, for the record, and it sort of served with the overall aesthetic for the cover that I wanted, and that's where I went. So I went with it. Was it wasn't a deep, not a deep connection, but right with, with yeah. instrumental music then. Do you find that like naming things can be tricky? Like, do you f- struggle because it doesn't necessarily like suggest itself from the lyrics? I honestly find it's usually either very easy or very difficult. Okay. Like sometimes it comes very naturally. Like there's sort of like uh, either it's inspired by something very directly. Like, um, for example, there's a tune on the record called "Designated Hunter." And those words actually don't mean much themselves, but uh, the tune itself, when I wrote it, it made me, it reminded me of like some Dave Holland, modern Dave Holland music. And that's what it just made me think of. So I tried to just make a title with those, with the initials DH, you know, the words themselves didn't necessarily have a lot of, a lot of meaning. Um, But um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It's and every artist who primarily writes instrumental music is a little bit different. Right. Sometimes there's a really like direct intrinsic connection between the music and the title, and sometimes it, the titles are more just functional. Yeah. Uh, so if there's kind of that variance for you, is that kind of similar to like kind of like how you create music? Like, do you find there's variance in terms of like how like do you come up with like oh, line, yeah. and sometimes you have like you know. A whole al- a whole song's worth of stuff like kind of like just pop into your head. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's honestly it's a it can be like I'm often envious of artists who write music with lyrics because I sometimes feel like maybe it's actually it's like the lyrics point them into in a direction or the lyrics come first and then the music is kind of created to support as a backdrop for those words. Mm-hmm. I know like there are singer songwriters that I love, like Paul Simon, for example, he apparently writes lyrics last, but, um, but in writing, uh, sorry, I kind of lost the, yeah, the initial just, question. In terms of the, your, the, the writing style and like, you know, do you have stuff kind of pop into your head? Oh or, yeah. You know? Yeah. Sometimes they're exercises. Like I'll, I'll hear a tune that I like and I'll try to write something that reminds me of that tune that I like. Or sometimes, yeah, it's it's um, it's like I just get a fragment of a melody that's kind of working. Mm-hmm. 
and I just try to stick with it and carve it out and see if I can write, if I have two bars of melody, see if I can write another four bars, see if I can add some chords, have an idea of what kind of, what the vibe is going to be, like, is it going to be something that's swinging, is it straight, like, is it like a straight feel, is it groovy, you know, is it fast or is it slow? And sometimes those things change as I'm writing it. Like something that I starts as like a slow tune might end up becoming a fast tune or vice versa. Or, um, or sometimes I literally I take another tune that already exists that I like and I try to write something based on the pre-existing harmony, which is actually a, a tradition within jazz in general. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like writing a story based on another story. Yeah, right. Which is something that's done in film and television a lot. Taking the bones of something else and, and yeah. putting some different meat on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At what point do you bring things to Julian and Kevin? Um kind of just when I'm when I feel like I have enough stuff that uh I wanna use the that I wanna take advantage of their time. Uh so if I have like um maybe four or five tunes or arrangements. I'll just see if I can get together with them. And if they're not available, maybe someone else just to connect. Um, And then sometimes it's a matter of, I bring in tunes that are almost done or almost arranged. And then together we kind of figure out like how it's actually going to work. It's usually, I mean, if in all fairness, it's really would be fair to give everyone writing credits because everyone usually ends up contributing something. Mm-hmm. Some kind of an idea of like, okay, what are we going to do in the form here? Um, are we going to play for this long, for that long? How are we going to end it? How are we going to get it into this section? Um, and then for the case of this particular batch of music, uh, this was stuff that I had kind of just, it's kind of like I booked the record date and then I had a deadline to, I had a deadline. <laughs> so then I had like, seven or eight different tunes I think maybe ten actually and then over the course of a weekend we just played them a lot and we kind of just got them um, got them very comfortable and we got them kind of dialed in so that when we went into record we felt like we were ready Was that intentional to give yourself that deadline like some like outside pressure or Yeah I need a deadline I actually need to have one if I don't have a deadline then I don't get anything done there's like a an Ellington quote that was, um, "Don't give me inspiration, give me a deadline." And I cannot. Not everyone operates that way, but I do. If I don't have the deadline, I won't finish it. So, which it, is why after recording the record, it took me five years to release it because there was no deadline to record it <laughs> to release it. <laughs> so then, in terms of like what, what then pushed this over the line to be like, let's release it then, if there was no deadline. Um, Honestly, uh, it was kind of a monkey on my back because I, at the time when we recorded, I was not necessarily at a great point in my life and I was dealing with a lot of like mental health challenges and then the record date itself, I didn't feel great about if I'm going to be completely honest and I kind of projected all of that onto how I felt about releasing it, Mm. which over time, and I kind of just buried it. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll get to it. I'm going to release it. I'm just waiting for 
you know, this thing to be in place or that thing to be in place, like, which actually mostly had to do with budgetary kind of things. But then I just let it, I essentially, after a while, just let it go. And then some time passed and I played on some other people's records and I felt way more excited about the recording process in general that I wanted to record again, but I felt like, well, what's the point in recording again if I don't first just release what I've already re recorded? Right. So it was kind of a cathartic exercise to sort of confront my own demons and anxieties about just releasing music um, and get it out there. Um, and then I had a few students of mine who were asking about when it was going to come out, and I decided, okay, well, there's people who are actually invested in hearing it so in fairness to them i should release it mm. so it's not really about me it's about getting it out for people who want to hear it so the experience of working on other people's records forced you to kind of go back and revisit this album yeah what like like were you kind of a little more gentle with yourself after having yeah seen other people record yeah i was gentle with myself because i was able to when you listen to yourself i mean especially in this music where it's like you're so used to being concerned about like, okay, what was my articulation like in this line? Like all of these very, very, very fine minutia. It's hard to divorce yourself from that and listen to it just as a big picture, mm. which is actually how most of the listeners are going to hear it. So um, in working on other people's records, I was able to exercise that part of my ear and be able to hear with this more objective, removed kind of aesthetic or perception. And I was able to listen to my own music that way and try to listen to it as if I had no idea what it was and I was just an everyday listener and then feel more comfortable signing off on it and just letting it out, letting it go. It's kind of like I'm setting it free by releasing it. Right. So that had an impact on kind of looking back. Did the experience point a way forward in terms of having worked oh, with yeah. other people? Now I, yeah, yeah. Now I just want to release it and I want to move on to the next... I just want to release it so I can move on to the next thing. Mm. I also want to share it with everybody. There's that too. Like I want I want people to hear it. I want it to have an audience. Um, and I want it to hopefully inspire even just this, this experience in itself, uh, inspire others just to if they have something that they're working on, to just release it, to get it out. That's what matters, is that people can hear what you've made. Um, and you will make, and hopefully I'll make many more records. And uh, the process will get a little bit, uh, a little bit easier each time. For sure. So the yeah. album release show, like, do you intend to play the record front to back? Is that like kind of the set? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna play most of it, yeah. I think. Most of it. Uh, and then I'm also gonna include some new music. So I've been working on some new tunes over the last six months, some of which I have already performed, but uh, I'm gonna be playing the record front to back, not necessarily in order, and mixed in with some new music as well. So, uh, partly to make sure that the audience gets gets a good bargain. <laughs> they're not just hearing a four, they're not hearing a 45 minute record. Sure. Uh, 40, they're not just hearing 45 minutes worth of music, so. Makes sense. Uh... Yeah. So then, like in terms of incorporating the new music, are, are, do you see like a drastic difference, you know, from five years wor ago worth of material to, to like what you're writing right now? Like, do you see a change? Not, not a huge change overall, because I'm, 
even though I've changed, it's like at a certain point as an adult, you're, um, your um your baseline your language pardon me your baseline yeah your language is kind of formed in a way and you're working within like sort of a toolkit and you might stretch yourself to uh, make music that's more on the boundary of what you can hear but it's like it's still coming from the same still coming from the same human being i like i'm not that different also, the band is the same. I'm playing it in the same kind of setting. So it's this guitar, bass, drum trio, So, sure. which is a format that I love to play in. Um, so on that note, too, it won't sound necessarily drastically different, but uh, that's up for the audience to decide. And, you know, it's kind of yet to be seen because we haven't done it yet. Uh, well, speaking of decisions, uh, before I let you go, I'm going to get you to pick a track off Omens Creek that we can play for. Okay. Folks. And if you have a reason I, why or an anecdote, we want to hear that. Um, I would maybe pick Fantasy. So Fantasy is actually an arrangement of a tune by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, um, I mean, Fantasy is a tune by Earth, Wind, and Fire. This is my arrangement. Um, and... Something I've always loved, in addition to writing music, is interpreting songs that have been around forever, um, which is partly in the which is a big part of the jazz tradition in general. And there's many artists who I love, who like Ben Monder, Larry Goldings, The Bad Plus, Brad Meldow, Bobby Broom, who play songs from like all of pop music, you know, from Gershwin to Joni Mitchell to and I've to the Beatles, Soundgarden, and that's something I've always enjoyed doing too. And this is uh, this song "Fantasy" is one of my favorite songs in general. And I really felt that the recording just sort of really overall captured the we captured the vibe of the trio the best on that on that tune. I was the happiest with it. Right on. Yeah. So unless you have some royalty issues with playing, no, that. no, we uh, we we definitely. We'll, we'll, it'll get credited to both Earth, Wind, and Fire and Aaron Shore. You know? <laughs> uh, it, it's funny, though. Like, Yeah, like one of my favorite jazz tracks of all time, I think, is Miles Davis's take on Cyndi Lauper's Time After Time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's part of the jazz canon to, like, do that. And do you, like, when you're listening to, like, non-jazz songs, like, are you listening with an ear to, like, what would this be as, a, as an arrangement? Uh, not necessarily right off the hop. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. I'm, I mean, sometimes I'm mostly listening for, like, does this resonate with me? Do I really like the melody? Do I like the harmony? Do I like just the overall sound of the tune, like, of the piece of music? And then typically the first step is I just, most music that I like, I usually try to learn or at least take a stab at learning it. So either learning the tune in its entirety or learning little fragments. Um, and then if I sort of feel like it will work, if it feels like it has potential to work in like a band situation, then I just try it. That's kind of was the case with fantasy. I just wanted to try it. Why not? And it, and it stuck. It stuck. So you can't go wrong with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Even my like no, nine, you really nine year old can. and eleven year old son love that band. So uh, you know. Yeah. Well, then they're already like they're already in really, really, really great shape. I didn't get into that music until I was older. Nothing wrong. Whatever age it's there for you when you come to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Omens Creek's release show, 
Jazz at the Fort Gary Hotel, Sunday, May 14th. Uh, Aaron, congrats on the new record and uh, best Thank of you. luck with the album show. Yeah, thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 
back here on Thank God It's Free Range, and that was Quail's Egg from L.T. Leif, Calgary artist, uh, now living in Glasgow, Scotland. Their new album is called Come Back to Me But Lightly. That one's available on Bandcamp right now. Before the break, Aaron Shore with Fantasy, his prick from Omens Creek. Don't forget you can get tickets uh, for his show on Sunday night, the release of that record at the Fort Gary Hotel. Uh, I've actually linked to the show pass on the show notes on this site. So uh, check out umfm.com if you want that and all the information on everything I've played tonight. Uh, coming up in just a few minutes, my interview with Jim Barrett, a bass br- drum of death. We're coming to town June 3rd. Uh, before we get to that, well, something I really dig from the new Manchester Orchestra record. It's a track called Letting Go. Outside, I'm the one. 
Chicago, Saturday, June 3rd at the Bulldog Event Center. Bass Drum of Death touring alongside Dearly Beloved and Basement Revolver, bringing their latest record, Say I Won't, to Winnipeg. Jim Barrett from the band joins me on the line. How's it going, man? Uh, doing well, man. Doing well. Hanging in there. How, uh, how are you? Doing all right. Yeah. Uh, so this record's been out for a little bit. You guys are about to hit hit Canada pretty hard here. Um What's the response been like to say I won't for, for you guys, you know, now that the record's out? Um, it's been really, really positive. Um, like, especially getting out and playing it. Um, you know, like when we, we released it at the end of January and then like, we got some good, you know, some good feedback, some good reviews. Um, and then that kind of made us really just like itch to get uh, on the road and play it. So we did and hit hit it pretty hard from February on um, and really I've been playing these like some of these songs since like the fall um, our fall touring like kind of setting up the record um, so the response has been really good I mean it's been because we, it's the first time with new materials since about 2018 20 yeah 2018 or 19 so um, it's been fun to see you know like kids in the crowd singing along to like the words from songs that have only been out there for like you know a couple of weeks at this point and like uh it's 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 been really been really positive and you know it's awesome to be able to play some new stuff and change the setup a bit and um you know kind of expand the sound a little bit well speaking of expanding the sound i was reading that kind of like the creation of this record was a bit a bit different for you in terms of you know bringing in some musicians and fleshing out the songs what like was there a specific incident that like caused you to decide to do that or like something you'd kind of wanted to work towards how did that come about well so john's always done john's my brother he's kind of the uh the the leader the, I mean, with kind of the it was his it's his baby so he started doing this on his own in 2008 and then did two records on his own completely with like a mic with like one usb mic um and then Starting on like LP three, he started working with like drummer and a producer and started kind of fleshing out ideas that way. Um, and then so now at LP five, I mean, John and I started, uh, we had just finished touring um, and playing uh, shows kind of all over for the fourth record. Um, and, you know, we weren't really pleased with how the fourth record, the whole rollout worked out. It was kind of a bit uh, a bit mismanaged and we were running all over the place and just kind of not much to show for it. And uh, so we were like, after that whole year, we were kind of like ready to start something new. And um, we were both living in New York at the time. And so January 2020, we start uh, demoing, John's got some ideas. We start demoing and really like fleshing out the ideas and getting the songs into great form we did like two or three tracks in january and february obviously COVID hit and uh we we went back to uh to our folks place in mississippi and uh really like during like the deep the deep dark lockdown um we were we were like demoing every night and writing you know in the afternoons and demoing in the afternoons too so we really started getting the the bones of the record together during the lockdown and had everything demoed by the time everything uh, was kind of cutting back on and we just took our time with it and so it was just kind of 
one of those things where we just took time with the songs, got them right. And then when it came time to record with Pat Carney up in uh, Nashville, um, Ian, our live drummer, had been playing um, with us for a little bit. Um, and some shows here and there in 20, I think it was 21 maybe, or or no, we hadn't even played, we hadn't even played a live show with them. We had just been kind of jamming. Go to the studio with Ian and we start laying down everything live. And so just kind of really took a natural kind of organic uh, um, growth period, sort of. And so that's uh, that's how the, that's how we did the LP5. So what's the touring configuration like then? It's the, the three of you? Yeah, just uh, John, myself, and uh, Ian on drums, yeah. Now, I'd, I'd read a piece that, I guess, it, it, is your brother into golf? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's way into golf. Uh, and, yeah, actually, we're uh, we're having a family vacation now because we've just gotten off the road for a little bit. And uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to spend most of it playing uh, playing golf, which I'll be chilling on the beach and uh, reading books and stuff. Uh, but, yeah, he's a, he's a big golfer. And that apparently it was like he and Pat – that's how Pat ended up becoming producer was something to do with golf. Is that? Yeah. So we went down, they, they've known each other for a bit um, from up in New York. And then obviously like fat possum connection. And um, we had gone up, John had rented an Airbnb that kind of had this like studio space or this like live space. It was a really, really cool Airbnb in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just North of Nashville. And we were there for like a week, just kind of putting finishing touches on um, some demos, and honestly, just like basically finishing the demoing of the album that, um, that, it, that it would come to be. And we had a free day, and John was like, "Let's see what Pat's doing. Take him play golf and see if he'll do our record." And so he hits, uh, he hits, he DMs Pat on, on Instagram. And was like, "Hey man, let's go play some golf if you're free." Pat was busy, uh, couldn't make it, but he was like, "Let's rain check." And John. You know, not so uh, not so subtly or whatever. It was just like, yeah, man, I was gonna try and you know do the old business uh, approach and like take you to play golf and see if you'd uh, work on our album and uh, you know try to convince you to work on our next album. And Pat was like, uh, man, we don't have to go play golf for that. Let's set a time. Let's get this record done. I'll, I'll work. I'll work for you guys whenever you all whenever you are ready. So, um, so that's how that happened. And so then we ended up doing the record with him and the. End of the summer, early fall of 21. And um, and a lot of times we would finish up during the day. We didn't have any late nights um, in the studio. We would finish up the day around 5, so John and Pat could go play golf after we finished traveling that day. Um, so, so it was a fun experience with Pat, for sure. Eventually got the round in. You mentioned you're going to the beach with some books. What's on your reading list right now? I'm always curious about what people are reading. I am reading um, This Wheels on Fire, uh, the Levon Helm kind of memoir of uh, the band. Uh, I've been, I'm reading that right now um, and, you know, talking about them doing the Canadian circuit uh, with he's like in Ronnie and the Hawks. Right. Uh, so that's where I'm at right now. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, kind of warming me up for getting in the van and riding around Canada for a bit. Um, Hitting those long stretches. Yeah, I've been reading that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been reading that, and then I've been reading. I uh, just finished um, a book. Uh, I've been running a bit, especially since COVID. I picked up a book called "What We Talk About When We Talk About Running," and it's by uh, Murakami, um, Haruki, Japanese yeah, yeah. author. Yeah, that's um, 
yeah, he's one of my favorites. And so it's a really cool memoir, just like about his like prepping for marathons and his running. Uh, running. So I just finished that and I uh, just ran a, ran a 10K at our like, hometown festival. I was like, I'll just get something that'll try to get me in uh, in a little bit of shape after, you know, drinking a bunch of beers and sitting in vans for the last two and a half months. So, um, so yeah, that's been on my list uh, as of as of late. Do you build in like time on the road to try to like work on your physical fitness? Like I know uh, I talked to one band who like the band plays handball when they're on the road and they just try to find a place to play handball. Like is that something that or or just kind of like when you're back home you do, you do that kind of stuff and then when you're on the road you just kind of have to live the road life. yeah it's always just you know there's always just you never know how much time you'll get unless you have a day off um and the day off you never know if you're high kind of travel or not um so you know really anytime i can get if i can get up early i'll go to like the gym and the, and the hotel or i'll go for a run around the city that's kind of my favorite this is a good way to see the town and like that's like when we were in europe that was one of my favorite things to do is just like as soon as we would get there go for a run you know get out of the van go you know expend some energy um and then you're able to see you'll see the city too so it's a good kind of introduction um but it really just kind of depends man because you're kind of like driving and then you pull up and you get a sound check and then eat dinner and then before you know you're on the stage so um it just kind of depends some days you have you have a bit more time than others. Ian skateboards, so he'll he'll bring a skateboard along and um, he'll find some time to skateboard. And then yeah, John's thing is golf. So we all kind of have our separate separate things that we do. Um, you know, kind of uh, to get to get some uh, get some uh, exercise out. Uh, but then too, at the same time, like the shows, like you know, depending on how hot and sweaty the shows are, we like we we tend to have a pretty decent workout on stage uh, so it's uh you know if we have the energy for it then it's always good to get some get some exercise and also it's a good way to get some alone time so um yeah try to keep it up while on the road otherwise um it gets a little uh can get a little depressing out there if you don't keep uh if you don't keep up some good habits you know for sure uh, joining you guys on this tour dearly beloved and basement revolver how did you guys end up with them on the list for the uh the bill um, I think it was like a lot of our manager, um, John Kastner helped us like get together. He'd been trying to get us uh, together with Dearly Beloved. I know, um, a couple like shows or tours in the U.S. Um, and then Basement Revolver kind of same deal. So he, uh, yeah, kind of packaged that all up and, uh, yeah. So he, he put us together and, um, felt like it was a great fit. And so, um, yeah, excited to hit the road with all those, all those folks. For sure. Uh, so you guys land midway through the tour, June 3rd, here at the Bulldog Event Center here in Winnipeg. Before I let you go, Jim, I want to get you to pick a track off of Say I Won't that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that one or an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. Um, Yeah, I would say I'll do Find It. Uh, I'd play Find It because that was one of the first ones that John, that John really kind of let me help a lot um uh, with like collaboration and stuff and so the other ones he kind of had like full-on ideas for and then i would just kind of put the drums down and help him get a demo find it was like you know he had a vocal line he had a couple of things here and there and then we just fully we made the song you know together and then arranged it and so i'm really happy with how that one turned out and like that's one of the ones that like um you know maybe you'll see here in a couple of weeks but like when we play that one live like folks like really 
kind of get into it and they all sing the words you know it's, it's one of those like catchy ones um, that we we're glad to get on this this album and uh yeah i played that one that's that's one of my favorites to play and that was one of my favorites to record all right well we'll give that one a listen uh again june 3rd in town bass drum of death jim thanks very much for taking some time and, and safe travels on the road yeah i appreciate it michael yeah have a good rest of your day and uh yeah i'd love to see you soon
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio, brand new. It's been a while since we've had something from them. Apollo Suns, local band, new single they just dropped today called Pluto. And uh, thankfully, Ed sent it my way. Uh, excited to give it a spin here on UMFM and uh, excited to hear more from this band as they head into uh, a release show later this year and some concert dates as well. Uh, I know they're going to be involved in the Jazz Fest playing some of the Spirit of 73 uh, series at the Fort Gary as well. Uh, don't forget, Bass Drum of Death coming to town, playing the Bulldog Event Center June 3rd. Uh, tickets available, bands playing alongside Dearly Beloved and Basement Revolver. I'm uh, going to change things up a little bit, throw a different pitch. This is Esther Rose, kind of a cosmic country artist whose uh, new record is called Safe to Run. going to play a new magic, Roman numeral two, here on 101.5 UMFM.
dead Like there's energy in my head Like there's somebody in my bed And it's you Dealing in my feelings of 
a time in Montreal The only place I can recall Albeit in a bleary haze That's what it's like these final days The story goes something like this We must pursue domestic bliss The time is now, the place is here I'll learn some French avec plaisir I'll sacrifice what little I My saxophone And all that jive I'll get a job And work as hard As God allows me Like 
Thank you. 